0: Thank you. Amen. Amen. A little feedback there, Wesley. Got it. <clears throat> one of the uh, one of my favorite things about baptisms, you wouldn't wouldn't realize this or wouldn't think about this probably, but besides the actual act of baptism, which is awesome, I want to hit that gain a little. Um, I'm talking too loud. While I'm back there changing, after we get through the baptisms, one of the sweetest sounds in the world is being back there and hearing the whole church singing. You can hear it so well. You can hear you singing, you can hear everybody up here singing and worshiping. And uh, man, it just makes me smile every single time. Um, I am so relaxed. I feel like I've been in a hot tub, women. It, am- <laughs> it is amazing. I tell you what, I'd beat the heck out of that freezing cold water. Man, we are looking at hope and courage this morning. We're looking at the book of Acts, and uh, I'm excited about what I believe the Lord is going to say to us this morning. Uh, There's an inescapable link between hope and courage, and that's what we're looking at this morning, that they are linked together, that the two things, the two concepts can exist or don't exist apart from uh, each other. We're looking at chapter 4, almost the entire chapter this morning. Uh, It's the courage chapter. This chapter is all about courage and boldness and uh, holy spirit inspired action uh this is a it's a it's a great chapter and uh, so we're going to dig pretty far into it hopefully and and uh and uh hopefully the lord will do what he does and change our hearts and and draw us closer to him so we're looking at uh hope and courage the biblical definition of hope is not wishful thinking okay it's not it's not i hope like oh i hope that girl thinks i'm attractive when you're a 15 year old boy right or something like that it's not that kind of hope it's a biblical hope, a godly hope, uh, is conf- confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in His faithfulness. Okay? Biblical hope is in God's strength and faithfulness. Biblical hope is hope in God's promises and His strength and faithfulness to carry that out and to see that through. That is biblical hope. That is real hope and lasting hope, and that's the hope that we're looking at this morning, it's the hope that we looked at a little bit last week. Courage is moral or mental strength to venture, which is just to do, to go out and do, to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. So the resolve from inner hope to do and keep doing in the face of challenges, especially challenges that tell you you shouldn't keep doing what you know you should keep doing. is courage. Courage is not, it is not not being afraid. It is being afraid and doing it anyway. Do it anyway. Do what is right anyway. Uh, on Lydia's birthday this year, back in February, uh, Tanya asked people to, to give like platitudes or things you've learned or little wisdom sayings or things from Scripture and things like that. And one of the things that I said, because I've found this to be true in my life, do the right thing no matter what it's always worth it. Now, I haven't always done the right thing, but I have found it very true that not doing the right thing was not worth it. It's worth doing the right thing, even when it's difficult, even when it costs us. So, I was looking at a story this week as we were getting ready. Alexander the Great, many of you know him, the the great general, the the leader of, of ancient Greece. He lived during 356 BC to 323 BC, about 33 years, actually one month shy of 33 years, He was taught by Aristotle. Um, In 334, he started what would be a military campaign of 10 years of consecutive victories, never losing a battle as the general and king of ancient Greece. He's world-renowned in history. He's still kind of the standard of of military strategy and things like that. There's a story about Alexander the Great uh, talking to one of his soldiers at one of the battles that they were fighting. The story is of a soldier that was not acting very bravely, he was not being very courageous, Uh, and he was kind of staying back when he should be pressing forward and pressing into the battle. And the story goes that the great General Alexander approached him and he says, what is your name, soldier? And the soldier replied, my name, sir, is Alexander. And Alexander looked him straight in the eye and said very firmly, soldier, get in there and fight. Or change your name. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Alexander the Great General, his name kind of goes with courage, military strength and might. What about you? What about you, child of God? How are you carrying your name? How are you carrying God's name today in your life? Are you carrying God's name with courage or with timidity? Are we being timid? That's what we're digging in today. It's not courage for courage's sake. It's courage that comes from an assured, blessed assured hope. And we're looking at Acts chapter four. As we get into Acts chapter four, uh, just real quick, chapter two is Pentecost, right? Jesus has, has lived with these guys and been with these guys every day for a little over three years. He has told them he's going to die. They don't understand that he's going to die. He is killed for no just reason whatsoever. He is laid in a tomb for three days. He comes back to life. And then finally, these guys go, oh, like you're God. (laughs) We understand now. We get it. You're not here to do earthly things. You're here to do heavenly things. and, And things change. From the moment of the resurrection and the moment the disciples and the apostles realize who Jesus really is, everything changed. And then we get into Acts, and that's directly after all this is happening. So Jesus tells them, hey, go, wait, and pray. And the Holy Spirit will come. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will be empowered to act and to do in my name. So they're waiting and praying. And the Holy Spirit shows up. And Peter gives the most greatest, numbers-wise, evangelistic message probably ever spoken. 3,000 people there in Jerusalem of multiple languages get saved in Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 3, there's a 40-year-old... Disabled man. He's disabled from birth. He's lame from birth. He cannot walk He's healed by Jesus through Peter and then Peter preaches again a message of repentance from sin and faith in Jesus whom you crucified Peter says boldly and courageously in front of everyone in Jerusalem and That's where we're picking it up. That has just happened. Peter has just healed this man in the name of Jesus, and he's just preached this message, this second message, and some people have, be- some more people have believed. Doesn't say how many, and then we're picking it up right there. It literally has just, he has just finished speaking when we pick up in Acts chapter four. So read along there with me, verse one. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection. Of the dead. So they seized them and took them, them being Peter and John, took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. 5,000. <laughs> it's pretty cool, right? That's amazing. So in a short amount of time, the Holy Spirit comes and Peter preaches the message, and 5,000 people, sa- people get saved. 3,000 people get saved. And then Peter preaches another message. After a few more have been saved, he preaches another message after healing this guy. And about 2,000 more people get saved. The church has grown from about 100 to 5,000 practically overnight because the Spirit is alive and well and working in Peter and working in John. Because they have seen Jesus die. And then they saw him back alive. And everything changes when a guy says he's going to be killed and then he's going to come back to life and then he does it. Everything changes then. Everything has changed since that has happened. And so it talks there about the Sadducees and it mentions some other people, some other groups, which we'll get to in a minute. But the Sadducees were a sect of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is like the ruling court and ruling class of the Jews. Even at this time, even with Rome dominating the world and dominating Judea, Israel, they still allowed the Sanhedrin to kind of police the Jewish people. And so they're big to-do type of folks. The Sadducees are one group of the two groups that kind of make that up, kind of like, not to chase this rabbit, don't let me lose you, kind of like Democrats and Republicans, right? There's, there's, there's partisanship even within the Sanhedrin. There's two different groups. There's the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees are the, the more well-to-do, landowner, aristocrat kind of been in the Sanhedrin longer than the Pharisees, for hundreds of years longer than the Pharisees. They're the, they're the ones that have the most say, most of the time. And they believe only in the Pentateuch, only in the Torah, only in the Law of Moses, same thing. They believe that the, the Word of God is only the first five books of the Bible. The first five books, the Law of Moses. That's what they believe is Scripture, and that is it. That is all they believe is Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. Because of that, they don't believe in resurrection. The Sadducees, the leaders of the Jews, the well-to-do, life's pretty good for me. I mean, resurrection's not really that big a deal when life's pretty good. They didn't believe in resurrection, so that's why it says they are greatly disturbed or annoyed. It depends on your English translation. It's all the same thing. They, they're like, here they go with this resurrection junk again. We've been telling these people for hundreds of years that's not real. That's not true, right? This is the same group of people that tried to trick Jesus during his ministry into say, hey, what about the lady that gets married multiple times and never has kids? What about her in resurrection? Who's going to be her husband? Who's she going to be married to? If this resurrection thing is real, and of course Jesus just, like he always does, just punches them right in the face with the truth. It's amazing what he does. He says, "You don't understand. You, you don't understand eternity. You certainly don't understand relationships that are going to be in eternity." But didn't God say that I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? In other words, they are alive. He's the God of the living, not of the dead. And so the same thing is still continuing. They're still trying to disprove or or be against. The very idea of resurrection, much less that Jesus has resurrected. So that's kind of where the the motivation is coming from here. Also, obviously, they're being threatened. Their way of life is being threatened, and they don't really particularly care for that. Funny thing is, people that get wealth and power tend to want to keep their wealth and power in this world, and they don't like things that threaten to take that away. Moving right along, verse 5. The next day, their rulers... I love that, their, (laughs) their rulers... Elders and scribes assembled in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family, so all the well-to-do Sadducees. After they had Peter and John, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, by what power or in what name have you done this? Done this being what? Obviously the healing of the lame man from birth, right? They're like, what? Well, stand up here in front of us and explain what's going on. Who did you do that through? Whose power? Whose authority? Whose name? Same thing. All means the same thing. Where did you get that power? Where did you get that authority? Who do you think you are healing this guy? And how in the world did that take place? By what power or in what name have you done this? In other words, hey, we're in charge here, bub. Who do you think you are coming along healing this dude? Not cool. What are you trying to do? Okay, We're trying to stay in power and we're trying to stay wealthy. And you need to quit messing with that. Moving right along. Acts chapter 4 verse 8. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Ah, love that. And said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified (laughs) and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. And Peter is obviously, not obviously, but obviously now, Peter is quoting Psalm one eighteen twenty two when he says that. The stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. Saying that that is a messianic prophecy, that the Messiah would be rejected by the rulers and principalities of the world. He says, hey, who did you do this? How did you do this? Now understand, he's talking to people that don't even believe in resurrection. They certainly don't like this Jesus guy, and he is a nobody. Peter is a nobody standing in front of all the people that think they are somebody. And they wanna know, how did you do that? He's standing up. We know who that dude is. He hadn't been able to walk his whole life. He sits out there around the gates. He's a beggar. He can't take care of himself. There's 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 not social safety nets, right? They know who this guy is. And now he's standing there beside them, with them. How did you do that? And what does Peter do? Well, right? Oh, I forgot. That's what we do, right? That's what we do. That's what the church people do. Why do you go to church? Well, what's being saved? Well, right? I mean, I'm rubbing my coat just thinking about it. It's making me nervous, right? Peter is standing there literally with his life on the line. And It says he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, I did this through the power of Jesus, the guy that you killed for no reason, and the guy that God raised from the dead. That's right. He was resurrected, Sadducees, whether you believe it or not. We saw it with our own two eyes. We talked to him. We ate with him. We prayed with him. He came back to life. You get over that resurrection thing. Okay, I put all that in there, but I think Peter probably said some of that too. I'm pretty sure he said, I mean, he had to at least been thinking it, right? It's a very similar message that Peter preaches in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. He's given a chance to share the gospel, and he shares it again. Jesus did it, period. The one you rejected and won't accept as Lord and Savior, he did it. And then the hinge of chapter 4 is verse 12, and I love verse 12. Verse 12, there is salvation, still Peter talking. To the same group. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Peter lays it out there. His hope. This is his hope. This is what it's on. Verse 12. This is where it all, all the, you know, the the whole thing is, this is where it's happening. Peter says, hey, you want to know how I can do that? You want to know how I can stand here in front of you? And say what I'm saying because I now know, I have a confident expectation, a confident hope that Jesus Christ is my Savior. And he's your Savior if you'll accept him. And he's your Savior if you'll accept him. And there ain't no other way. Says you, the Sanhedrin, you high and mighty, you can't save. He didn't say that, but he's saying it without saying it. You guys can't save us. You've been trying to act like it for centuries now. Hadn't worked out so well. All we ever do is get oppressed and taken over by culture after culture. You can't save us. Your religion that you preach can't save us. It's not universalism. Everybody can be saved. Everybody's just going to be saved. There's, there's many paths up the mountain. It sounds so philosophical. right? God's at the top of the mountain. And there are many paths. And if you just seek the path, You'll find God. That's some of the new age junk that you hear these days. Wears me out. I thought about it. Sure. When I was young, no offense to the young folks, and dumb, I thought, hmm, thought about that for a little bit. You know? And then you're presented with whether or not you want to believe it or not. Then you're presented with what we've all been presented with seven weeks ago. Then you're presented with the reality of the harshness of a sinful world and I tell you when you're presented with that truth just find a path up the mountain it does not sound very hopeful to me and that's what Peter says he says there ain't many paths up the mountain there's one name one king one savior Jesus no one else Jesus says it himself in John 14:6. I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2.5, one God and one mediator between God and mankind. And that man is Christ Jesus. That is our hope. And we need to be preaching and living that out with courage in our lives. Like that is our hope. It is our confident expectation. If we have that hope burning inside of us, then there's no reason for us to not live courageously. There's no reason for us to be timid in front of a world that is already defeated. There's no reason for us to stand in front of another human being ever and back down from the truth that Jesus is the one true Savior. Well, what about, well, let me tell you what he's done for me. Well, what about this? Well, let me tell you what he's done for me. What about that? Well, let me tell you what he's done for me. And when that is true in your life, because you're actually living out following Jesus, you'll have a story. You'll have a testimony. It may or may not be the one you currently want or desire, but you will have a testimony. You will have something to share. You will have something to say. When the world says, Jesus, (laughs) yeah, let me tell you about what he's done for me. All that other stuff doesn't matter. All the other stuff they try to bring up, it doesn't matter. When you can stand there and say, Let me tell you what he's done for me. Same thing Peter does here. Same thing that happens for Peter and John. Verse 13. Now what happens when we do that? Here's what happens when we do that. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. There it is right there. Plain old black and white. Right there in front of you. Now, something that jumps out here to me, you guys know how I am by now, hopefully, that, that, that the word there for, that we use uneducated or untrained, or your, your, your translation may say common, Right, they're just common men. These dudes are just common men. In other words, the Sadducees are like, We know a little bit, and they don't. But what they're saying and what they're doing, we are amazed. That word there, uneducated and untrained, check this out, now I'm no linguist, okay? But that word there for uneducated, untrained, or common in the Greek is idiotes. (laughs) Now I'm not, you know, I've never had an official seminar class Seminary class on, on ancient Greek. But I'm pretty sure I can figure out what that word means. <laughs> it's actually a, it actually is, is a Greek word for a Hebrew phrase that means people that are ignorant of the Torah or ignorant of the Jewish law. That's what the Sadducees are saying. Like, these guys have not been trained like we have been trained. But <laughs> something amazing is happening here. What is happening here? these people are acting with courage <laughs> with a courage that we don't normally see that courage to str- that strength to venture out to persevere to withstand danger fear or difficulty to live like and for Jesus when you live like that with courage when you live with courage for Jesus and like Jesus the world will always be amazed it always has been and it will always be amazed it may disagree It may not like it it may confront you with it that they don't like it but it will always be amazed the world will be when we live out confidently courageously what it is to be filled of the holy spirit filled with the holy spirit because of the hope of jesus when we live out like that living out a bold faith it leaves the world amazed and it leaves them without a real argument and really Really, what is the the crux of them not having an argument? It's verse 14, right? That we just read. And And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They saw what had been done. They could see the guy. They knew he was lame. They knew he was disabled. This guy, before Peter did this, could not walk. He sat there. In the gates with legs that didn't work and now he's standing there right there with Peter and John and we may not like all this stuff they're saying but I I can't deny that that guy's standing right there I have to think that Caiaphas or Annas one of these high and mighty guys that think they know everything I can't I can't help but think in their mind they're thinking but he's standing right there like something's happened We may not be able to explain it, but the dude is standing right there. (laughs) When Jesus is evident in your life, when they can say, he's standing right there," there, there is no arguing with that. There is no arguing with that. Not truly. Maybe they may try. The world may try. But there is no arguing with a genuine, sincere Christian that is following Jesus, that goes through the ups and downs and gets punched in the face left and right from this world. And experience is good, and experience is bad. And no matter what, they say, praise the Lord. And why can a true Christian say that? Because no matter what, it's all temporary in this world. All of it. The good and the bad and everything in between. It's all super, super, super quick and temporary. Compared to hope in eternity. To real, eternal, everlasting, never-ending, unbelievable glory and hope like we said last week when we see jesus face to face wow! bring it on bring it on lord come lord let us be faithful until but come on lord come lord jesus bring it on he's standing right there they couldn't argue it they couldn't so what do they try to do Same thing the world still tries to do. Verse 15. So what are these big shots going to do now? After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them. Against speaking to anyone in this name. Because apparently it carries a little weight. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Something's happening. Something's happening, but it's going to take away from what we have in this world. Something's happening. He's standing right there. But if they keep listening to these guys then we're going to lose out in this world. And let me tell you, think about who you're talking about here, the Sadducees. Sometimes we're amazed at how much the world can be the world. Think about it for a second. If you're a Sadducee, if there is no resurrection, then you'll do anything to keep the good that you have in this life. You'll do anything to keep the pleasure you have in this life. You'll do anything to keep wealth, to keep power, to keep comfort, to keep status, to keep reputation. You'll do anything to do that if there is no resurrection. <laughs> and Conversely, the opposite of that is true. You can withstand anything this world throws at you when you know the truth and the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that, that faith in that is going to Result in the exact same thing for you one day. You can endure anything this world tries to throw at you. So they're like, hey, what are we going to do? Well, we'll threaten them. (laughs) Right? That's what we do. We get nervous. I can't say that. I'll lose my job. Quiet, not it? I can't say that. They'll call me a hypocrite. I can't say that. They'll they'll say mean things to me. I can't say that. I might lose my position over there in this group. I can't say I can't do that. The threats work. They work if we let them. If we forget where our courage comes from. But when your courage comes from a real, true, confident hope in God, that His promises are true, and that He has the strength and the character of faithfulness to carry that promise and those promises through, then those threats are like water on a duck's back. There ain't nothing to them. He says, we'll threaten them, so they'll stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. And here we go. Here comes Peter in verse 19. And John. Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Hmm. That's a good word right there. That's good. Peter and John said, hey, listen. If it's wrong, if we are wrong for disobeying you and obeying God, you guys in the Sanhedrin, you judge that. Do what you got to do. Those in jail... Kill us, whatever. But I'm here to tell you, Mr. High and Mighty Caiaphas. I'm here to tell you, Mr. Annis. I'm here to tell you, all you guys that think you know everything and have everything. I'm here to tell you, we are unable to stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. I love that part. I hate it when we rush past that part. What we have seen and what we have heard. And then think about this. What they saw and what they heard, they documented for you and for me. This ain't some wishful, hopeful, follow the path up the mountain, crock of junk. It's not. It is a documented faith. A documented faith by people that were there and saw and heard what Jesus said and what Jesus did. They were there. They copied it down. At the risk of their lives, they wrote this down. Or someone that was one removed from the eyewitness wrote it down. And then people copied it over and over and over at the threat of their own lives. Knowing at this point in time that if Rome found this and heard them speaking about Jesus and doing things in Jesus' name, they were going to die. Why would they do that? So they could gain power and wealth? No, because it was the truth. Because it was worth dying for. Because they wanted their son and their daughter and their nephew and their grandchild to know this truth about Jesus. Because they didn't know when he was coming back. Here's the thing. In your life, it may be that fast when he comes back. He may not come back for 5,000 more years. Hope that ain't true. But he might not. But in your life, it could be the next second. It could be the next second. It is always that far from eternity. You were always just that far from eternity. And they documented this faith for us and they risked their lives and they lost their lives and they preserved these documents and they copied them over and over and over and over to the point that if you compare Homer's Iliad, the copies we have of it to the copies we have of the New Testament, it ain't even close. It's feet and feet and feet and feet higher if you stack the paper up. Feet and feet and feet and dozens of feet higher the amount of copies we have of God's Word. Think about that. Think about how awesome that is. You say, why would not there just one copy that God just preserved? Because then, whoever has that has the power. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It wasn't about one person having the, having, having the ability to share this word. It was about everybody being able to know it. So it's copied over and over and over. And people died to make sure that you could sit here one day and hear what Jesus has seen, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus, what they have heard him say. You've heard what you can hear what he said and you can hear what he's done. Because people that were there copied it down for us so that we could be here one day. What a God. What an amazing God. Threats from the world? Jumping her lake. Couldn't care less. So after threatening them, verse 21, after threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. Because courageous, hope-filled action always causes God-filled praise. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. Verse 23, after they, were, after they were released, they went to their own people. Remember how they said their rulers? Now they're going back to their own people. Love it. And reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they, being their own people, when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, when you see an act of God, when you see God working, there's only two responses. You praise him and you pray to him. You communicate, which is what praise is. They said, what are we going to do? We're going to praise God and we're going to talk to God. Praise God, and we're going to pray to a living God. Continuing there, starting with their prayer. Master, you are pardon me. Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our Father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of the earth. Take their stand and the rulers assemble together against their Lord and against their Messiah. Quoting Psalms 2, 1 through 2. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assemble together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever. Check it out, church. Verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. Now, I don't know about you, but there's many times that my prayers don't sound anything like that. Most of the prayers that I've prayed or I have heard prayed in my life are, you guys know what I'm about to say. Oh Lord, please give us a good day. Oh Lord, please watch over us. Forgive us of our sins. Amen. We forget to talk to Him as the master of the universe. We forget to talk to Him as the Creator of it all. We forget to remind ourselves that He knew before anything ever happened what was going to happen. He predestined these, I don't know the words I use them, these morons, that's the word I'd use for them, Pilate and Herod, and all these people that thought they had it all figured out and we got to squash this. He, used all, he knew exactly what they were going to do and he used it for his good, his glory, and for your and my salvation. He knew. <laughs> God, creator, in charge of it all. The world thinks That it can beat you. But you already know what's happening. And that's a prayer that can set our heart in a little different. A little different place. And our mind in a little different mindset. You knew it all happened beforehand, God. You Just go back and look at the the model prayer. That's what Jesus tells us to pray. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed Hallowed be thy name. Praise him. Give him the respect and honor and worship he deserves. And then the end of the prayer, two more verses to this prayer, 29 and 30. And now, Lord, consider their threats. Now they get to the part that they're they're praying about, right? First, God, you are amazing. Let me keep my mind and my heart in the right place. And now, God, consider their threats. And grant that your servants may be safe and have a good day. Is that what it says? Oh, sorry. And grant to your servants that everything may be okay and they won't experience any uncomfortableness whatsoever at all, ever. Is that what they prayed for? Lord, please give us more wealth and more power and a bigger house and a nicer car and a better job and a nicer spouse. You shouldn't be praying that, I'm sorry. If you're praying that, you're in a bad spot, but I don't know. Is that what they said? Oh. They threatened understand when when the Sanhedrin says don't go do this anymore and then you go do it that means you can die for doing that now they didn't say that but that's what it means especially if you're doing it what they would consider blasphemy which is what they killed Jesus for because he said he was God because he was they said grant your servants that we may speak your word with all boldness to heck with the safety to heck with the with the all the stuff to heck with all that stuff the name it and claim it bunch of junk can't stand it when i hear that stuff just believe in jesus and life will be great just believe in jesus and you'll have health and wealth and everything will be awesome yeah no it won't you know why i know that's true because jesus never said any of that ever They didn't pray for that because they knew that wasn't what God's will was. God's will was that his word be shared. God's word was that people be saved. God's will was that these people's hard hearts would be broken into a million pieces and they would realize that they need God and that he loves them. Even in the midst of their ridiculous sinfulness, he loves them. So they pray for boldness or courage. Because they know the hope that their life is founded on. Verse 30, While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now that's a prayer, church. That's a good prayer right there. Give us boldness. Give us courage. Fill us up with your spirit to do what needs to be done and to say what needs to be said. The God of believe in me and life will be all sunshine and rainbows. Hear me, church. Hear me, people that are out there listening. The God of believe in me and this physical life will be all sunshine and rainbows is a false God. That God does not exist. The God of believe in me and have faith in me and no matter what this physical life puts puts you through because of sin, I have already fixed it. And you're going to experience eternity in a perfect paradise that God exists that God is real that God is named Jesus God empower us to do the work that you have predestined us to do more times than not in the New Testament it talks about the good works that God has predestined for his people to do he's got something for you to do get busy doing it now how does God answer prayers like that Because sometimes you may feel like God's not answering your prayers The ones you want a yes to anyway. Here's how he answers it. Our last verse for the day. All y'all said amen. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. God, help us to speak boldly. And then they started speaking boldly. Because God likes to answer those prayers. It's always a yes and amen to those prayers. Anything you ask in my name shall happen, shall be granted. Anything that you ask, in other words, in my will, in my purpose, for the reason why I designed you, the reason why I designed this world, the reason why you were created, anything you ask that is in line with that, it's coming. And now get get busy doing it. Get busy speaking. You want to speak boldly? Now go. There it is. Holy Spirit, you're filled up for the day. Go live for me. Go do it. So, what are we saying? Let's sum it all up. I know I've talked a lot today. What are we saying? How can we sum sum it all up? Because of Jesus, because of who He is, and what He's done, and what He's going to do, we have faith in the future that gives power in the present. Because of that hope, because of knowing who Jesus is, what He's done, and what He's going to do, who He is, we have faith in the future that gives power in the present, the right now. Also, we have that, but we also have hope in heaven. And that gives us courage in all challenges. When you know that you know that you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, has saved you and has redeemed you for all eternity, paid the price for what you should have paid for, because He loves you, and He's going to make all things right and just and well one day forever. When you know that, when you have faith in that, when you have hope in that, you have power right now to live for him. You have power to, ex- to go through this life in a way that people are amazed when they see Jesus in your life. You have courage, no matter what the challenge. Courage that comes from him, not from, not from us. So what do we do with that? I think it's very simple. I think it's very simple. We need to pray, speak, and act. With courage, because of the hope in Jesus that lives inside of you. It's that simple. Pray, speak, and act with courage, so the world goes. You stand right there. That's amazing. I don't believe in resurrection, but that's amazing. What is that? What is that? This this truth, two thousand years ago, was compelling. People wanted to hear it. And people still want to hear it. We just got to tell it. Share it. Right? I'm going to add an S word to our words. Not that one. Get your mind out of the gutter. Good grief. Sincere service, sacrifice, and share. Share Jesus with the world. That's what we're called to do, church. Pray, speak, and act with courage because of the hope in Jesus that lives inside of each one of us. If you have placed your faith in him. And if you have not in the world why in the world would you not why in the world would you wait it's the only thing that makes this world make sense it's that God that real God, Jesus it's the only thing that makes it make sense and the only thing that makes it worth it one path up one mountain to one God that loves you I'll pray for us and we'll have a time of worship here to to end I'll be here to pray. If you want to pray, need someone to pray with you, if you want to know about putting your faith in Jesus, I'd be happy to do that as well. If you just want to pray during this time of worship through song, you're certainly welcome to do that as well. But pray, speak, and act with courage because of the hope in Jesus that lives inside of you. Or get that courage today. God, we come to you, we thank you, and we love you that you love us. You loved us first. You loved us enough to come to this earth as God, a God that can't be killed, and willingly lay down your life to prove how much you love us, to prove your power, to prove your sovereignty over all things, God. Lord, I pray that we would just be burning with a passion and a courage to live out that truth, not in some dead religious waste of time way, God, but in a way that changes our lives and the lives around us now and forever, God. We pray that today would be the day of salvation for anyone that is out there listening or is here in this building, God, that has not placed their faith in you, that they would realize that it is the one, true, only hope that there is. And it is absolutely worth it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.